0: Hey, hi, hello, welcome to episode nine of Trail Society. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hilary Allen. We're, uh, Keely Keely and I are in our homes, in our offices, it looks like, but Hilly, where where are you still?
1: (laughs) I'm still in Madeira. I'm in Portugal. Um, so I'm sorry if you hear some city noises, uh, and it's a little bit dimmer lighting for me. It's evening for me and it's morning for you guys. (laughs)
0: Yeah. We're going to talk about what you've been doing in Madeira in just a little bit. Um, And then where are you off to next year? You're not even coming home quite yet, right? You're gallivanting a little bit more.
1: gallivanting. I know. Um, So actually I have family in uh, the UK, so I'm actually going to London um, and kind of spending an untraditional uh, Thanksgiving over there. Uh, And then some really cool things uh there's a huge um trail running community in London and uh, i get to do some well run events we'll see how much running i'm doing um but then also some more book events too so that's going to be really fun way to kind of wrap up wrap up my season before i go into the off season and resting
0: is it are you okay. allowed to celebrate thanksgiving in the uk
1: you know what i don't know but i'm <laughs> I know. I, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm going to go shoot a turkey if I can eat this. I need to find turkey or something. They really like, Hi. oh, maybe it's actually, maybe it's grouse. They do more grouse hunting there. So I'm just going to go get one of those and have my own Thanksgiving dinner.
0: <laughs> we routinely would celebrate Thanksgiving like off at like a training camp for skiing. So we'd be like in Canada or even like early season racing in Scandinavia. And you'd be like, okay, Thanksgiving in Sweden. Yay. <laughs> no, we, yeah. What do you Canada. eat
1: there? Like salty fish?
0: Yeah. That's not, it's not the same. It's not quite the same as doing Thanksgiving at home, but we'll, uh, yeah. we'll have you back Stateside soon enough.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe you'll have to do a Friendsgiving after the fact. So <laughs> Those
0: yeah, are always that, the best. That pie <laughs> fix. I would need the pie fix more than
1: I know, anything. Corinne. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I need to find a solution because I don't think I'm gonna make a like a pie by myself in the Airbnb somewhere.
0: <laughs> Probably not, but I'm sure you can find something. They do like potatoes over there. Um, at least that's what you know. I'm I'm telling myself they like not potatoes, lie, so. I,
2: that's my least favorite part of Thanksgiving. <laughs>
1: So maybe you can buy potatoes though. Well, -hmm. you know, if all else fails, I'll just have a big glass of Guinness and have that fill me up. So
2: (laughs)
0: Thanksgiving's
2: a mindset. It
0: is. It is (laughs) definitely a mindset. You'll still get to be thankful for so many things Mm -hmm. over there. Um, I think we're gonna start us off with some news, some ultra running news stuff. Obviously the UTMB World Series continues to make announcements actually the palettis are over here in the u.s right now currently on a three-week road trip meeting with um, various race directors um they sat down with jason coop recently um i think the gaylords uh, both kim and tofer are touring around with them so that they can kind of shake the hands of some race directors that they're going to be working with as they continue to grow the utmb series worldwide in part because i think you know it's probably better for them to get face-to-face over here and and try to talk with those race directors directly as they figure out how they're going to move forward. And they, they're continuing to announce or announce races and the big ones that they announced this past week. And I expect that we're going to hear more races about every two weeks from them are three races in Switzerland, including they purchased, um, or or partnering with the Iger ultra trail, which has been the Iger one Oh one K. Um, they are also taking on the trail of St. Bernard by UTMB, which is another race that they have that's been established that they've purchased, Um, And then a brand new race being run out of another ski area um, called Wild Struble by UTMB. So that'll be a brand new one. I think they're packing most of these races into the month of July. So maybe, you know, they announced all their June European races. Now they're announcing July European races. So maybe we'll continue to build into August and the fall. Um, The big one too is they purchased um, their first race in the UK, making um, Ultra Trail, Snowdonia, the first ever UTMB or by UTMB race, um, to be in the UK. It's a race that I've wanted to do for a long time. And the biggest thing there is that they're moving the race. Um, normally I think it's earlier in the spring. Um, and it will be a July race. Now it'll be the first weekend of July.
2: Cause why not? Let's put all the races in July.
0: I mean, you know, they've already <laughs> announced like six races in Europe for the month of June. So you might as well announce all the races for July. Um, they're also doing, uh, the last race they announced was a race in Corsica, Um, which I'm, you know, very curious about, it seems like a new race as far as I can tell Hilly, is this race existed before?
1: Uh, yeah. So actually a Rastonica trail, um, uh, it's, it's been around for, for a bit. I don't know exactly how long I was actually, um, when I was living in France, I was, um, going to race this, but then of course it was, it was canceled in 2020. Um, and I would say, I mean, having been in Corsica and I've done the GR 20, it's, so technical um and it's one of the it's it's insanely technical like just granite um everywhere rocks and like you just have to really watch your feet so um yeah I mean I think that's that's really exciting it's really cool that they're they're you know Corsica is a it's a pretty it's an awesome it's a bigger island right it's a destination place but it's a pretty iconic I think route. Um, and I know some of the race goes on the GR 20, um, and just another, maybe
0: if that's, if if that, if that is also a July race, that sounds like a hot, hot race, super hot.
1: And it's actually really, really popular with tourism. Like that's a really common through hike. So I'd assume it's like kind of like, you know, the UTMB, there's a lot of, um, um, traffic on that trail. Um, but again a really well organized race I actually just got um um a message from the race director of this of this trail announcing to me that he was so excited that he was actually a part of the UTMB series this year um so i think they're all really stoked so hopefully more people will go to these races um and then another quick side note is uh you know again some of like the the Snowdonia um i've actually wanted Super. to do this race it's very, too
0: it looks like a very cool terrain to and be running I on
1: I might actually get to go there when I'm in the UK. So I'll check it out for you guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be amazing. So I think that we'll continue to get these updates. I've I've spoken with a few US race directors um, who I believe will be coming on with the UTMB series. Um we're just waiting for those announcements to officially come out. So we won't we won't say anything too soon. But um as they've mentioned, right, they were looking at partnering with races that were already golden tickets into Western states and with the HOCA sponsorship on both. I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing from some of these U.S. Golden Ticket races becoming part of the UTMB series in the coming weeks. So that'll be very interesting in part because some, most of these races haven't yet happened. So will they be in effect for 2022 versus 2023?
2: We don't know yet, but um, we got hey, Karen, some more news. Corinne, do you know if this uh, partnership re- like results in having more prize money?
0: I don't, I mean, well, UTMB has famously not really paid much prize money at all. Right. They only introduced prize money in 20 um, 18, yeah. 2018. Okay. I think cause they, they paid us for, like, I, I would, was not expected to get expecting to get money in for 2018 she, uh, for, and wasn't the money for in TDS. So, <laughs>
2: um,
0: in part because they're like, well, athletes have sponsors and sponsors have bonuses and therefore they should be getting paid by their sponsors. And then they re- realized that not every athlete has a bonus structure and not a, and every athlete was getting paid bonuses by their sponsors. So they, I mean, but it's, it's not, it's not, I mean, Western States doesn't have any, you don't, you don't win money for winning Western States. You don't win money for winning Leadville. Like most of these races don't have prize money. And even still, I think the win at UTMB isn't like, we're not talking, it's not like you're getting 10,000 Euro for it from right. UTMB. It's been like a thousand totally. euros type of thing. Yeah.
2: I just think it's interesting with the like development of all these race series, like Spartan and Solomon and UTMB with Ironman, like how the pay structure and the bonuses and all that's going to evolve. because like clearly they're like some of these big bang, like race series, like Spartans giving big money for winning those races. I don't know if it's those sustainable races.
0: sometimes, right? Really? Like the money has to come from somewhere. And so I think it's going to rely on someone having non-endemic sponsorship money coming into these races. So once again, not from traditional sponsors, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when you look at the world cup for skiing or uh, mountain biking or whatnot, like they'll have like the title sponsors will be like beer or BMW or something different. So I think that we're going to have to rely some on non-endemic sponsorship money coming into the sport to be responsible for prize money. Um, but I mean, yeah. people have been showing up to races that have, haven't had prize money for forever. I don't know that totally. I don't think it's going to stay that way.
2: Right. That's but what I'm wondering. Part of it. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's just going to be a shift because in the past, like the races that offered money did not guarantee that those were the most competitive races. In fact, it was typically the opposite, right? Like races I and mean, prize rabbit. money were the most, yeah, never, never drawed or drew that big of a crowd, right? Like, but it yeah. pays like crazy. Yeah. So well, it's one I of think
1: until, until re, wow. And maybe that's changing. Like, I think it is. It like, seems like it might be. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I think
0: more yeah. money is going to come into the sport and that I think will present itself with there being prize money offered at some of these races, but I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, That didn't seem to be a priority with the Pilates of creating this series. Um, Like it didn't seem like they were adding more money to the prize structure at UTMB Mm -hmm. as is, like to the to the championship event. Um, So we'll. I mean, we're we're all waiting to see what happens here. But I think it's going to have the money has to come from somewhere, and um, these are for profit companies, right? Like, do you want to do you want to you know pilfer some of that money off to be prize money? they don't have to do that. Um, so it'll kind of be, um, a matter of time and waiting to see what, what happens with the professionalization of the sport. You want to, you want to hit us up with that Alyssa Clark project? Oh help? yeah,
1: that's me. <laughs> um, so in other news, um, I mean, I might just cringe at this just because I finished an Ultramarathon recently, but <laughs> Alyssa Clark. Uh, she's attempting, um, the Pinotti FKT, which is 95 marathons in 95 days. And all no, are two separate projects, right? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. She's she's attempting the pinoti FKT. So she's she's and she's using her trek to raise money for um the free to run. Um and it's the organization aims to develop women leaders in regions of um conflict by giving women and girls the freedom to safely participate in outdoor sports and activities. So yeah, this is amazing. Um, but I mean, I the Pinhoti FKT, it's like it, these multiple like day after day of of running it's like all I have to say is just please please eat up please take care of yourself yeah.
2: the pinhoti trail <laughs> for those of you who don't know what it is it is a 335 mile long trail through alabama and georgia so um yeah pretty long and this woman is known long. notoriously for doing 95 marathons in 95 days she is the guinness book yeah. of world records record for this um, and so she's no stranger to long distance, annual suffering. Yes. Um, wow. but it's good to see her, um, using this trek for, for good. Um, yeah. hopefully she is having a big Thanksgiving before. Him. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And then free to run for those of you who don't know, this is Stephanie case's organization. Yeah, I think, definitely. right. Stephanie case is a, um, she's a lawyer for the UN. She's a total baddie. Um, <laughs> I can't say enough good things about Stephanie case, but um this yeah. is her organization she's worked extensively in the middle east um getting getting women and girls out running, which is you know no no easy task running in these areas um just yeah. culturally or from a safety perspective. so very very cool organization, and I'm happy that Alyssa Clark is using um this f k t attempt to raise raise money and awareness for for this organization. so I thought that was very, very cool.
2: yeah yeah and <laughs> other unrelated news
1: races <laughs> we have
2: races so many races um holy smoke so where do we start um let's start with tunnel hill 100 give a shout out to stephanie Flippin, who is like kind of new in this space but last year won the usatf 100 mile championship and this year just won tunnel hill in 14 hours
0: she's been doing um, a bunch of road ultra stuff i think mm-hmm. that's where her name is more known i think pat um regan is her coach mm-hmm. so fits fits the bill there. She's speedy, yeah. speedy over this, these kind of flat, long distances.
2: Yeah. Um, which is crazy. And in the men's race, there, a guy named Phil young beat Zach bitter, who is like notoriously good at these yeah. kind of races with like a mile to go, um, and one by three minutes. So I can't imagine how painful that is for both of those guys, but especially, um, bitter with, uh, I mean, that mile laugh. Oh, oh how yeah. painful.
0: What a pun, a good pun there. It was probably it was bittersweet. Um, but I would also say that I think Ze- I think that you know, for for Zach Bitter, I think he was on sub 12 hour pace until late in the race. Or so he like the wheels came off there a little bit as Phil Young mm-hmm. came through for the win. So yeah. very, very cool racing to see. It was it was a t- competitive um little group of men. Mm-hmm. Um, which is always I mean, fun, fun to see those like guys duke it out for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. A couple more races that came in through my DMS was the fat ox 24 hour race. Um, and here we had four women crack the top eight <laughs> and fourth woman in general was a woman who's a badass named Jackie hunt. Um, I'm not going to say your last name cause I'll butcher it. Um, but she got fourth woman and eighth overall. And so that race was stacked with women in those top eight. So that's pretty cool. And then one more shout out to a follower who's soaked on the show is Ellie Cookson ran her first 50 mile and got first female third overall in the UK at the Granite 50 mile. So shout out to her because that's pretty cool for your first 50.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> very, very cool for your first 50. And then in my backyard um, last weekend, we had the Dipsy race. The Dipsy was postponed. Normally it's a race held in June every year and you're racing from Mill Valley up and over um through cardiac ridge down into stinson stinson beach it's very cool it's only seven miles and they have a really cool system in which um in the invitational which is kind of like there's normally an invitational and a runners group and the runners are just kind of like you didn't make the invitational maybe next year type of thing for for, uh, primarily for first comers but the rest of the race is stacked based on um gender and age so you'll have waves going off with like you know 70 year old 80 year old men and like 9 year old boys will start together. And so there's an age handicap and there's a gender handicap for the race and then first person across the finish line wins. And so if you're if you're young and healthy you have to pass like 200 300 400 people in 7 miles to get what's called a black shirt. And the top 30 or 35 get a black shirt with the number with their finishing number on it. And so it's a big deal. To receive one of those, to have put together a race to have passed hundreds of people to um get one of those. But that also means that within that top 35, it's generally such a mix of people. Mark Tatum, um, 61 years years young out of Colorado Springs, won the Dipsy overall. He was the first um non-Californian to win since like the 80s, mm-hmm. I want to say. Um la, the 2019. Cause it didn't happen in 2020, the 2019 winner. Um, he was second, so it was like it was like three dudes in their like 60s, one, two, three. And then it was like the young guns hunting. Like it was very, very cool. Chris Lundy, um, <laughs> um, Diana Fitzpatrick, like really cool people in this like top 10 group. So it's I'm really excited to see little Sunny um race this race again. Next year that's Eric Tran's daughter, Sunny. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wants that black shirt. So coming back in June, the dipsy will happen again. Um and it's just really, really cool to watch young and old. Um, everyone just like duking it out for that top, that top spot. And then I guess the other big race besides Hilly's race that we'll get to in a second um, was the JFK 50 mile race that happened out East this weekend. Um, I mean, NCAA was also going on this weekend. This weekend, how a lot of racing, it was very cool, but JFK is one of the most historic 50 mile races in the country. It's been going on for a long, long time. It's kind of an in- ha- Keely. Have you ever run JFK?
2: Yeah, it was yeah. my second second ultra ever. Yeah, it's your home home Ate turf. me alive. There. Yeah, no, it was it was cool. <laughs> so it's this cool and Sarah mix, Bard crushed me in the last towpath, obviously.
0: Oh, yeah, and then you guys repeated that at Chuckanut, right? Yep. <laughs> Classic Sarah Bard. Um, <laughs> don't you don't want Sarah Bard hunting you down on a on a towpath in the last ten k of a race? It's not it's not good for you. Um, But this race starts off with like a bit of technical trail and then you're on like flatter towpath for the rest of the race, um, which produces insanely fast times. Um, Sarah Cummings, who was second, um, after taking a wrong turn and adding some miles in the last last year's edition of this race ended up winning, um, in what, like six eighteen. so fast. Yeah. Third, really fast time time ever followed by Sarah Bile followed by Devin Yanko, um, mm-hmm. who we all know took a DNF at Javelina to kind of prevent, uh, a fall on her knee becoming more than a niggle, um, in third. And she told, she texted me and she said, that was really, really hard, but I was only two minutes slower mm-hmm. than when I won the race 12 years mm-hmm.
2: ago. Yeah. The times this year were really fast. Like top yeah, eight women fast. were under seven twenty or something.
0: Yeah, yep, yeah, cuz I think Anna Mae was 8th and she was Seven. like 711 or something, 15,
2: wow. yeah, something like that. Uh-huh. So Crazy.
0: very very cool. And it was cool too. Christina Randrup um led the race early on and she's kind of a young up-and-comer um out of Seattle. She grew up in the Bay Area um running for Brooks and it was cool it was cool to see her being chased by like Devin Yanko and Kimber Maddox for the first, mm. you know, 50k of the race before mm. the Sarahs came through to push yeah. everyone. <laughs> yep. So very, very, yeah. very cool. And she
2: held on still and still got fifth, um, yep. which is pretty cool. And then Kimberg got yeah, fourth in her first 50 miles. So yeah, that's huge. Pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I was so stoked to see her step up in distance there. And then we'll give a, we'll give a small shout out to Adam Peterman um, for running the second fastest time ever. And if, <laughs> if he doesn't get a shout out for like ultra runner of the year for men or in the top five, like he's had such a great season obviously he dabbles in kind of the sub ultra stuff as well you know he won the trail marathon which is was the us atf trail championship for the marathon what like a month ago maybe a couple weeks ago ago.
2: beating some stout guys too yeah Yeah. Yeah. so he's
0: he's Mm -hmm. insanely talented and i am so excited to see what the future (laughs) holds for adam peterman Mm -hmm. yeah hats off to him big big race time Hilly Goat. oh (laughs) madeira (laughs) how how long and how hilly for the hilly goat was madeira this past this past week and give us give us a little lay of the land
1: all right so some lay of the land does everyone know what a vertical kilometer is (laughs) explain it uphill okay (laughs) so a vertical kilometer is where you climb a thousand meters in less than 5k so in United States terminology. <laughs> it's you climb thirty three hundred feet, um, in less than three point one miles. Usually in Europe, they're you know, uh, you know, two to three miles, like the races, right? But so, um, that's usually when they stop. Like there's a vertical kilometer, and you're like, we're done. We're at the top of the hill. Well, in Madeira Island Ultra Trail, you have three in the first. Uh, let's see. 50 K of the race. Um, the first two climbs are just, are, you know, just a straight BK. Um, and there's lots of stairs. It was extremely, um, extremely wet. Uh, it was, we actually had some frost, you know, a tropical Island. It looked,
0: it looked cold. It looked <laughs> it chilly because so you guys started at midnight too. For those of yeah. you who don't know the race started at midnight and what, when's the coldest time of day, right before the sun comes up, that sounded brutal.
1: Yeah. So it was, I mean, so thankfully I had some time on the Island before, but, um, you know, and, you know, but just being prepared. Right. And it's, it's really tough too, because I think right before sunrise, you experience kind of a low in energy. And, um, if, if you, your body gets cold, you can kind of, it affects your muscles. It affects your digestion. It affects just your overall you know, performance and you're trying to move. Um, and, but so the Madeira Island, and ultra trail the highlight race it's part of the the, um, the ultra trail world tour the highlight race is the the 115 kilometer. so they have several other races um it's extremely well organized all the way down to, you know like they have a marathon but it's extremely you know stacked in every single uh race event um but the trail itself is unique because the majority of the climbing we climbed about 24,000 feet um in the course of 70 just under 73 miles um The majority of that climbing is concentrated in the first, let's see, um, 45 miles of the race. Uh, and it's a net downhill course and the, the last marathon is quite runnable. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's an interesting strategy. You're trying to figure out how hard should you push, but then how many, how much legs, how many legs, how, how, how much legs should you, you know, save for the end, um, so it's it's quite interesting because um, so it, it, I love climbing. Obviously, I really like the steep things, um, but it's it's an interesting mix to try to be able to still maintain kind of a runnable effort at the end.
0: So 24000 feet of climbing. What was the total descending?
1: Um, I have on my watch close to 26000 feet.
0: OK, yeah, and that's scary, right? You're like, I climb well, but who's chasing me? Who's chasing me over the last 40K? Like, how terrifying is that? Yeah. Kili, do you have any, you got a specific question to throw?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, how did the legs feel on the last marathon?
1: Oh, really rough. Um, so I think I mean that's to be expected, right? And so um, I actually really like. So I was I was you know toggling around on the on the on the mute site. They have a lot of good statistics. I can't speak highly enough about this organization. They thought of pretty much every detail, like from you know COVID testing of every single participate before participant before they could even pick up their bib number and check in to do any of the races, to you know um, buses, transporting them to the start of all their individual races. Cause they're on the other side of the Island. All the races are point to points. Um, And, and then just the live tracking and following everything, they had a bunch of, you know, kind of statistics. Um, so, and, and what was really cool too, is that, um, the, all of the race, um, from 2020, 2020, um, all of the, like the shirts, even my little like wrist band, it all still says mute 2020. Mm -hmm. So they recycled Mm -hmm. all of like the materials for this year. So I think that was really cool. Um, and so, I mean, obviously because of, um, because of the, the change for, um, you know, for, for COVID and, you know, the transfer of, of, of numbers over there, there still was, um, maybe a few less people here, but still a pretty, I think a lot of, um, a pretty deep elite field showed up. Um, and there were still a lot of participants like raring to go for all of the races. Um, I think it's, I mean, I was, I was looking at the breakdown between females and men. I mean, it's still, you know, it's not. It's not still not the best. Like there was still ten percent of the field were mm. were women. Um, for the one fifteen k, um, it was pretty similar for for the rest of the races. Um, but I think with with the number of elites that showed up for men versus women, it was still very comparable from from that from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I was looking at the finishing rate because it was really rough. Like the first day, I mean it was very cold at night, but the second day, the cutoff for this 115 race is um uh 30 hours. So that puts it in perspective. Um, and a lot of people had to stop that second night because it was torrential rain. Oh, um gosh. and so it was really rough because changing the race to a November, it really changes the the conditions. Um is it normally it's, in March? It's normally in April. Okay. A spring normally. Um, so basically, yeah. So and and I think it's notoriously wet this time of year. So every single descent when you, if you had just like, you know, like these like unrelenting uneven like stairs it was it's a volcanic island and so it's like with this mossy rock, it's like slippery and muddy and so, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, that's fine when you have fresh legs, but like later in the race is very painful. Um, and so the finishing rate for the men and the women, men was 67% and women was 60. So that's still pretty cool. If there's like, you know, only 10% of the field was women. So they still had a very strong standing out there. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, sorry, Keely to get back to your original question. Uh, so then at the very end (laughs) running a runnable marathon at the end, I mean, I did it, but, uh, talk about, you know, willpower. I think, you know, we had talked about, um, you know, earlier in in the summer, you know, with UTMB personally, when I had to drop out of UTMB and kind of that whole process of like a, you know, a DNF and like, um, and the, our last episode talking about guarding the psych. Um, I think all of that psych was kind of guarded up for this moment, um, to be able to push through, uh, low moments because I might've won, but, I did not have a perfect race and it took a lot of mental toughness to keep pushing through all of the low moments I had. And when I look back on it, I started having a really low moment at the coldest time in the night. Um, I felt like my shorts were freezing on my, my body and, uh, you know, had to make it to the sunrise. I felt a little bit of you know, the like, Oh yes. I heard my, my coach's voice in my head, the tack at dawn. And I'm like, this is the slowest attack of, of <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's like slow motion attack, but I was trying my best. and um, I didn't feel great, but I kind of just you know like faked it until I made it. I think my stomach was on the cusp of turning the whole day. but uh, you know, I think that's what that's ultra running. I don't yeah. think anyone had a perfect day out there. I mean, we had a strong field of women and men, and I think every single one of them was suffering pretty bad at one point.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing to remember. And I think I told my athletes this, I think it's good to remind yourself of this, right? Is that like, yeah, you're hurting. Everyone else is hurting too. Like don't, don't be wallowing in your own hurt out there because Mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is, is that like everyone else is also hurting. Like even if they're, you know, making it look easy, Mm -hmm. they're still hurting. And so I think it's really important to remember that out in a race is that like, you're not alone. Yeah. Everyone's suffering together and you just have to embrace, like embrace the suck and oh yeah. You no, know, yes, find a way I, to push through. I it. think
2: that's just so that's so good to reiterate, right? Is like I've had so many people come up to me after races that I've won and they're like, wow, that must have been so lovely. And I'm like, no, it sucked. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's parts that were great, and there's parts that just absolutely suck. And just because you run faster or slower doesn't make it like that much easier. Yeah. It's like good to remember yeah. that it's still like a mental game. But like, I guess for you, there's so, so many logistics for this race. Right. So like, what did you do kind of before the race to like settle the mind? Cause I know you were texting us with like all these ideas before the race of like, do I do this or this? Like, how did you, how did you come to terms with that? Like, and like feel settled before, before the race?
1: Yeah. So I think, for me, I really, I like leaving. I like being prepared, but I also like leaving a little bit to be anticipated on the trails. Like, so I went out two weeks early before the race, um, it, to see the course. So I could kind of, you know, I've been to Madeira before, but on the other side of the Island. Um, so I hadn't seen, you know, I've heard rumors about how hard this course was, but actually seeing it and running on parts of it was really important for me to kind of prepare. Um, And then to understand, um, uh, you know, how I would get my support, you know, system Max is here with me and he was, you know, we had a rental car and like driving to different parts of the Island. I mean, the race was able, you know, other racers, they could have, you know, drop bags, but, um, and the aid stations were extremely well supported, but if you want to race and you want to have, you know, a quick turnaround at aid stations, you need that extra support um, and people helping you, you know, change your bottles and things like this. Um, And so, I think seeing it like I, I like to have it, you know, a little bit beforehand. So it allows me to kind of visualize. I think visualization is really important for me, um, you know, and to seeing which part of the race is important to kind of, you know, attack at dawn, like to try to push it up, uh, you know, the fourth VK of the day. 38 miles into a race when you still have eight more hours of racing to go Woo-hoo. you now know why adam made you do so much insane training though right
2: <laughs> oh you're God, like adam. oh it makes
0: sense adam's not trying to kill me adam knows exactly what was coming
1: he knew exactly what was coming but i was convinced that he was trying to kill me <laughs> but um yes shout out to you adam Thank you. Um, but, and it's also those times I think, um, and I mean, to stress that, I mean, I had some, every single training run I did on Madeira it was raining. I was soaked. I, it was wet. It was cold. And so that was also a really good reminder to say, okay, you can't really control what race day is like. And, um, you know, it, so, so that kind of portion, I think is super important to kind of put yourself in this right mindset and to remind you that, Suffering is inevitable and you're going to have to find a way through it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that that's, you know, the preparing from, you know, the the support system to the aid stations, the aid stations here were extremely well stocked. It was not like a typical European. They did have cheese, but it wasn't just exclusively cheese. (laughs) There was a lot of fruit out here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that was good. But... (laughs) Yeah. And
0: more to general nerves though, too. Like I think going into the race, obviously we were texting with you, but also just like, I think it's having spent enough time around you in, uh, in like leading up to other races, like despite me knowing how much of a badass you are. And despite me knowing how good your training is, I feel like sometimes you don't necessarily like, like the race provides that confidence provides that reassurance a little bit. Um, like that's in my mind, that's kind of where you take that confidence from. So I'm wondering, like going into the race, having, having had to drop out of UTMB due to like, like worried about an injury and not having gotten to race for a while. Like, how did you like come into the race without having that race confidence coming in? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, uh, I think it's because obviously I use both of you to like text my nervous energy. Like, what do I do? Um, and I think, yeah, Corinne, you were around me, uh, you know, we, we spent a lot of time before TDS and I think it's like, it's, it's, I have this like culmination before a big race. Like I doubt everything. And I'm just like, I didn't do enough. Like I need to run 20 miles. It's like, uh, no, you don't like it's, it's okay. Um, but I get really nervous and I doubt everything. And I, I just let kind of the nerves and the anxiety take, you know, um, take control. And this happens, you know, if the race of a, a Friday, um, happens about Monday, Tuesday are the worst days. Um, and then kind of as, you know, I get my bib and I start to just like calm down and have some quiet time and like, I think rest into the taper, um, I become like more calm and confident. Um, but like, exactly, like you said, I think it's, I need that almost, um, you know, just, just the race. It's like, once the race starts, that's my favorite part of the whole thing. It's, it's like, that's what we came here to do. And it's not just a competition. It's like the moving, the problem solving. It's like, we all know we spend so much time doing this sport. I mean, that's, you know, that's the best part when you get to just run all day and eat and that's all you have to worry about. Um, so before this race, I would say there was a lot going on in my mind. There was a lot more n- nervous energy than, than normal. Um, that's because of what you just said. I hadn't, I haven't raced in a while. You know, I had another injury this year and was, you know, really hopeful at UTMB and then had to pull the plug early. And so there was a lot, you know, I, I was able to have some fun at broken arrow and, um, that was a nice confidence builder, but there's still a lot of doubt. And, For me, um, I thought about this a lot during the race in Madeira and I actually didn't realize it until I was here is that in 2017, before I had that big accident, Madeira was, I had a big race win here and then my world changed and, I always thought I knew about this race and I always thought it was like way too hard. And I thought it was like, it's way too long for me. I'll never be able to do that long stuff. And so being able to be on the start line and, you know have this race after, you know this four and a half years of kind of battling to kind of get back. I don't really like that word, but um, it felt like that so to speak, Um, it carried a lot more weight. Uh, but I was, I've been working closely with the sports psychologist and I think that visualization and like, you know, then instead of holding all that, those emotions in maybe like nervously texting you guys and like Adam, that really helps. And I think, I mean, that's why I think community coaches just like, you know, talking about this, this crazy sport is what, you know, allows you to kind of break through these moments and, um, yeah, kind yeah. of. Use your support. squad. Confidence.
0: Yeah. Use lean, lean on your support squad. Right. Like yeah. we're, they're here. We're here, whatever it might be. Right. Text, support te- text squad. Text yeah. Your, your support squad, <laughs> your support sports squad. There we go. SSS.
2: Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Oh. And Hilly, I know like you did a lot of big runs before this, obviously. Do you feel like that helped you a lot with like fueling strategies and all that during the race? Like you said that that ended with a lot of downhill. Like, did you feel like Mm -hmm. that changed how you fueled at the end? Like, what did you kind of go into this with? Did you, did you go for the cheese at the stations? Like Mm -hmm. what was your strategy?
1: Yeah. So actually that was, I think that was the most important thing for me. So the one thing that I've learned so much through my, my injuries and through recovery is the importance of fueling. And if I want to stay healthy and if I want to do these big training, I need to eat like, obviously after the run, but eating during a run is so important. And I think for this race, I, I practiced that so much, um, on my long runs of just like eating, eating, practicing my race nutrition, um, you know, making rice cakes and taking that stuff with me. Um, and so like when it came to race day, I knew there was going to a point where I was just going to be drinking Coke, you know? Um, but I was actually able to eat gels, um, like, like my, sp- spring energy gels until the very, like the last, you know, couple hours of the race, which is like quite um, impressive. I think that's because I I practiced that. And um,
0: And then we're talking a 17 hour race, right? It's not, not your traditional 115 K. Okay. So (laughs) I was able to eat gels like for, for, for 14 or 15 hours. So let's just put that into perspective there. Okay. There's a lot more, a lot of us get sick of stuff around six hours. So we doubled that here, which is great. Like that's huge. That, that practice, like, trained your gut well yeah. to be able to tolerate that in a in a. Well, we were hoping. It, well, we weren't hoping. We we thought it might be really hot and really humid. you are talking about like this. The weather mm-hmm. might have actually benefited there. I mean, running in the cold's not fun either, but you know, was, thermoregulation it, is hard.
1: It was. You're right, and and that's what I was worried about too. Because you know, we're talking about like th- running into humid climate is 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 like running in a super dry hot climate. Because if you like evaporative cooling just is not effective. Right. And so it was still very, very humid and wet. Like, and so it still was, I still felt very muggy like the whole time, but then every time there was like a breeze up high, you could get cold. Um, but then, you know, after the sun came up, it was like a beautiful sunny day. So, um, yeah, I mean, practicing that. And then also, um, potatoes, those are great. (laughs) <laughs> um,
0: love, like just, love potatoes
1: oh man it was it was awesome and then you know just also you know re- so like relying on I love that your sports sport sport support squad I yeah. got it um, it's like a sport
0: it sounds like a sports bra of some sort but that's okay we're here for you just like a sports bra would be supports squad we're sometimes just, smushy <laughs> and we're sometimes sweaty but we're here for you
1: sometimes clammy but then that means it's job well done <laughs> um Weird. Okay. Um, But like, you know, um, effective communication at aid stations, you know, it's like not rushing through like I took the time to change my clothes two times during the race because I was soaked. Mm -hmm. I noticed that.
0: I saw the photos. I was like, Haley's in a white shirt now. This is so good.
1: Oh, I know. It was, it was really funny too, because I remember like I was at the first A station and just like standing there changing my, changing my bra. This could be a good segue into the next, uh, wait, I wasn't changing my bra. I wasn't like, but like I had my, you know, it was just changing my shirt, like in the A station, like whatever. And then there's this guy with the video camera zooming in. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) cool. Thanks guys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but no, I mean, and I was, um, it's funny. I actually, for inspiration too, I watched, um, the long shorts episode, the Salmon TV mm. episode with Francois and, and Courtney and, you know, you know, Courtney, you know, winning UTMB, having an incredible performance and having, you know, DNF at, uh, at hard rock, you know, it's all part of your process. So, and mm. even, even Francois, like he had an early season race that didn't go according to plan and both of them were nutrition related, and. So it's like that reminder and the kind of that inspiration and, you know, taking the time to take care of yourself at the aid stations while still moving with purpose. I think that that's a really good, yeah. um, oh efficient, efficient, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. not rushed, right. You can be yeah, efficient right. in an aid station without rushing. And that's something I stress with everyone, right. Go in mm-hmm. with a plan, do what you need to do. And then get out of there but you don't need to yep. be frenetic you don't need to rush like take take care of yourself so that yeah. you're fine right take that minute yeah. to change the shirt because it's going to pay dividends later
2: but that's so and, it's so hard yeah. to do like i don't do that i get freaked out and i get freaked out for people racing utmb when they're taking too long i'm like go faster but actually you have so much time we're we're, so,
0: we're you're gonna be so taken care of for western states keely you've got you girl we've got oh you, God, can I, can
1: we've got you. of it? course oh my gosh but like <laughs> seriously su- support sports squad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, the, the other thing, um, just for us to have some stats, because, you know, I was like, I was, trying to like max and I are practicing this, like of trying to have an efficient change of, um, you know, the aid, but like keeping it kind of under two minutes, but there was a time in Corral, this is about 38, 40 miles in, you have a huge climb. It takes two hours and it's only 10 K because it's okay. 1400 meters up. So it's a, it's a huge climb late in the race. You've already, I've already had been running for nine hours at this point, and you have a huge portion of the race left but you know, I, I was cold. I needed to kind of have a a change. And I was, um, be 12 minutes ahead of, um, Ekaterina at that point. And, you know, he timed me in the, in the aid station. I took, I took an extra maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds in the actual aid station. Um, and Ekaterina was very fast and efficient and she didn't change clothes like I did, but on that next climb, I put another 10 minutes on, you know, and so it's like, it's if you move efficiently and if you then, you know, put yourself in a good headspace, take care of yourself. I got enough food. I got what I needed. And then I was, you know, mm-hmm. under the orders of Adam to attack a at dawn. then, you know, that's like what, that's what I did. And it, it makes, it makes a difference if you take those extra seconds to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you have to adapt out there at all? I think most of us talk about like how much Troubleshooting is involved in ultra running. And I'm just wondering, I think that'd be kind of a nice, a nice kind of summary lesson from this race is like, did you have to adapt? Did you have to you go what went in with the plan, obviously? Right. Like what did that look like if if that happened at all?
1: Yeah. So I went in with the plan. And my plan is normally to start from behind and uh, you know, put myself in a good position and chase. Well, uh (laughs) I led from the very beginning. And so I had a target on my back the whole time. So I was kind of, I really had to practice not running scared and not letting that anxiety take over me and to run with confidence, to run with purpose. And for me, it's always about trying to, it's, it sounds selfish, but it's really a practice of mindfulness of just being like worrying about yourself. Like, how does this effort feel like constantly checking in with myself, taking care of myself, eating, drinking, and, um, you know, judging how, how I'm feeling while still maintaining a focused, you know, racing attitude. And so that was the first thing that had to adapt to, but of course, like, you know, my, my stomach, I was able to like, to, to stick to a nutrition plan, but I didn't really practice with potatoes, um, you know, or, you know, certain, I was eating a lot of the, the fruits that they had, um, at the aid stations. Um, and, you know, just kind of practicing that, like, trying to figure out when to, to drink Coke and, um, you know, what was sitting well with my stomach. Um, and then also I really had to, I was not expecting it to be so cold. And so really like, I didn't expect to change clothes that many times, but so really adapting that and knowing that I needed it, I went back and forth like so many times, like, do I change them? Do I not? I was like, no, like take the time and do it. Um, and yeah, the, the other thing was, is I think that the cold, um it was it i think it affected just m- muscles like and cramping like kind of on the downhill and so you know dealing with that easing into it and then still finding a way to 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 move efficiently on that last you know marathon of the the runnable downhill all i got to say with that is poles are your friend on the downhill but poles <laughs> can opinion. also not be your friend
2: uh i feel like that's the most perfect segue you could have done that was great Cause nice like, I don't know about you guys, but I've r- raced in, in Europe now, like, I don't know, four or five times. And in most of those races I've taken polls and yeah, they can be your friend, but they can also be like your enemy in terms of peop- other people's polls. Like wielding, how many of wielding you, poles. how many of you have been in a Congo line in the beginning of a race where there's like a bunch of European men or, or American men, I don't want to discriminate here, but a bunch of men normally in front of you who are jabbing you with their poles and like not letting you pass and using those poles as a weapon and like talk about trail etiquette. That is just not cool. In my book, I'm like, Hey, let me pass you. I'm going to pass you in 20 miles anyways. Um, did you notice any of that here Hill? Did you have like weird experiences on the trail with any like men or women or like anything around that?
1: So in, in past races, yes. In this race, no, because we had a big street start at the beginning. Um, and so we kind of had time to space out, um, but I did, I would just have to be like kind of forceful. And and, and in the past I've, I've, um, know how to use your poles, Keely, you just have to use them to just kind of get an elbow and then like put the pole in front of the other person and just pass and them. Extend, aggressively. extend
0: <laughs> out back. You gotta you use that, use that like pole grip it's attached to your hand and just really give it a good flick for those of you watching this, not listening to it. You got to really flick your hand back and Create some more space for you when these dudes are breathing <laughs> down your neck. I got taken out at Um A number. So at Transalpanya, you are not allowed to use your poles for the first like I don't know, fifteen k or something.
1: It's, it's it's that was a new rule. It was because a of something that happened at Huh. Yeah. And that's it, because I I think people were like and stabbed. Yeah, skewered. And that's also, once again,
0: it's another volcanic island. It Actually, it erupted this year, hence the reason the race did not happen and its postponed date this fall. Okay, like very scary and sad. Um, and the beginning, you start at this lighthouse and you're running up the trail. And I was told explicitly, I was running for Solomon at the time, told explicitly by a bunch of Solomon athletes, like, it's going to be insane, Like, but you have to be so careful trying to pass people because like the, the trail is really sandy, but everything around it is like volcanic rock and it's so sharp. And so Emily Forsberg, the year before had like stacked it off, like had like clipped a toe and stacked it and like cut her hand, I think, or something. But it was like to the bone almost on this rock. So it was like, people are just insane at the beginning of these races. And I think in part, the European races are so much bigger, maybe like there's just so many more people starting these races that it seems like trail etiquette the gun goes off and like trail etiquette goes out the window.
1: And for a lot of these european races now they've and this is like for the case for for UTMB too if you start with poles you have to finish with them. It's kind of like it's not part of your mandatory kit but if you choose to start with them you have to finish with them and that was what the mute was Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- what happened at mute as well? That was one of their regulations. Um, and it can be kind of scary. I mean, especially in a master. I've also run transvaginal current, and it can it's it's scary at the start without polls. Um, so
0: yeah, a dude in front of me dropped something and bent down, like stopped, like stopped to grab it. And I just got like fully like taken out by it just like, it caused like a bike crash, essentially. Like we just like all went down because this one dude like dropped his poles or a water bottle or something and and stopped in the middle of the trail and bent over to grab it. And we all just like oh, stacked it on top of him. So um, yeah, you have to, you have to kind of keep your wits about you. My first European race was, was trail worlds in Portugal. And It was a honestly kind of a similar route to something like Madeira where it was like just over 50 miles, but it had like 17,000 feet of climbing and it was like unseasonably warm. It was an late October race. Um, And I like, we started and we were getting like, we were on a road and then we climbed out of there and we were just getting pushed and jostled. And I was like, we have, we have so many more miles to run. Like, why are you pushing right now? Like, why are you shoving? Right now, like in the start Corral, your like feet are off the ground because you're like so pressed up against like everyone around you. Like it's it's so different. Maybe this is totally normal European racing, but coming from racing like only trails in the U.S. or in Canada to to Europe, you're like, wow, I am going to die in one of these mass starts.
1: Mm-hmm. it's it's really scary and I think because I think it's also just a, di- a difference of the sheer number of participants in endurance yeah. sports in Europe it just feels so much more intimidating like heck mm-hmm. I felt that way at this. I mean yeah Corinne too at the start of UTMB like you're kidding me
0: <laughs> like I I joked that there was a pream, like there was like a bonus if you got to oh, yeah. first because people are running so fast I was like did no one tell us mm-hmm. is there a bonus in LaZouche like why are people oh. running so fast
1: yeah, maybe did Strava put one on there? We'll see. <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe, maybe. So it's <laughs> but, it's insane. I think the volume is part of it, but what else do you think? You know, we've all obviously had these experiences in Europe, but what can we kind of take away from that to either to bring to the trails in Europe or in you know New Zealand or Australia or in the U.S.? Like, what what defines quote unquote proper trail etiquette? Because we we've, we've all had bad experiences on the trails in mm. the U.S. Be it catcalling, be it you know, uh, multi, multi-use trails, right. Horses, bikes, humans, we all, all three of us ride bikes. So we've got perspective kind of on both sides there. Like what can we do as trail runners to be, to prop, like to practice proper trail etiquette. And then what can, you know, what things should people be avoiding doing if this is kind of, you know, new news to them?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think just to kick it off, it's like just being my biggest thing with, with how COVID has influenced trail use is that there were a lot more people on the trail, but they were like extremely unfriendly. And I think that trail impacts newbies. me to the nth degree. It makes me so sad. It's like my happy place. And it's, it's like overly populated with people who are negative and not like super friendly and maybe not as up to date on trail, on trail etiquette. And so I think the biggest thing is like to pass with like courteous, like, like in a courteous way, and also just like be friendly to, to the other people on the trails because we're all out there like together. Right. And yeah, that was my biggest thing that I've noticed recently is like, that is just not a priority.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, say hi, be nice. Right. Like I'm a huge fan of say hi, be nice. Like even if you're running and maybe this is one of those things running with your headphones in, right. Like say hi, be nice. I'm a huge fan of the one, the one ear in, if I'm running by myself, right. Like I want to be able to hear what's going on around me. I want to be able to hear if someone's coming up behind me, both from a safety perspective, right? There's a lot of safety in this too, but also in a trail user experience, right? If I come up behind you and I'm trying to say hi or, you know, alert you to me me being present and you can't hear me because you've got your Beats headphones on, right? And you're just like rocking out on the trail. I want you to rock out on the trail, but I want to be able to, you know, like have you acknowledge that you're sharing this space with other people. So that I think, you know, is a, a huge thing that I saw during the time of COVID too, was just more more users out there who maybe weren't as familiar with this. I don't know how many times I've scared people saying, you know, like being like, you know, saying saying hi. And I, I've always been in the boat too when it comes to passing people that I, I don't necessarily start with like an on your left or on your right. I try to like, as I'm, cause you know, try to say that nicely while you're breathing. Like even if you're not breathing hard, try to say on your left without sounding like a total, like meanie, right? Like it's pretty, it's pretty aggro. Okay. Uh So what my my suggestion is you warm them up with a nice like hi, good morning, like howdy partner, whatever you want to yell at them from an like an approachable distance. And then you say something like, I'm going on your left. Or like, I'm just gonna sneak by because the truth is, is if you say hi to them and they're not wearing headphones and they can hear you 15 feet away, they're gonna naturally move to one way. Like be, or they're going to scatter, right. They're going to scatter and you're going to run down the middle, but mm-hmm. it gives them the opportunity to like, be like, Oh, someone's here. I'm going to move over. And then you can scoop by without like scaring them sounding like a giant jerk as you sprint by them. And they mutter show off under their breath. <laughs> um, not to say not from personal experience or anything, but that has been something that from coaching juniors and sharing the trails with many, many multi multi-use, um, users that I always do the the hi, the good morning, the howdy, Mm -hmm. the hello there. And then, you know, make your way around someone safely. Totally. And make the decision
2: for them, right? Because like, whenever I say, hey, I'm coming up on your left, it's like, they're like, is it my left? Or is it her left? Or is it the other left? I don't know what left is anymore. Exactly, Like they get so (laughs) flustered. It's like, oh, left, I don't know. And so then they just run in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, if you like kill them with kindness, you're like, hey, I'm coming up on you or like coming up behind you. Then they like can get their bearings and they just move. And then they're very happy. And if they're not happy, you say hello again. And yeah. then you say it again. <laughs> and you just keep killing them with kindness until yeah. they have to say hello back or they feel very awkward. And then
0: all is good in the world. Yeah. If someone says anything mean to me, my tactic is just to yell, have a nice day.
1: Oh, <laughs> Which yeah. is like
0: a very... I don't know if that's passive aggressive or not. I kind of mean it genuinely, but I've gotten like heckled on my bike by cars, like, cause they don't like where I'm riding or something of that nature. And I just, I can't hear what you're yelling at me half the time disgruntledly from your vehicle. And so I just yell, have a nice day because what are they going to do? They can't, they're not going to attack me mm-hmm. after that. Right? Like probably not. I love
1: that. That's so I don't great. know.
0: But yeah, yeah, your safety is obviously important in all this too. So don't, don't mm-hmm. uh provoke maybe altercations out there with uh, kill them with kindness not altercations. But
2: I mean, can we kill them with kindness if they're doing, if they're being rude too? like, like what if we get cat called? Like, I like how this whole conversation started from someone's DM, right. Telling us about like a very unfortunate encounter she had with someone on the trail. I think there's certain scenarios where we can't just kill them with kindness. Like what, how do you guys respond to that? I don't know. I don't get catcalled a ton here in Portland. It's very like commonplace to be running, but obviously when I have, I've been caught very off guard and I don't have a good response. Um, but it definitely doesn't feel good. Or like 30 minutes later, you're like, I should have yelled this. Yes,
1: <laughs> that's always what happens. Um, I mean, I think there's, it's a fine balance between standing up for yourself and, um, and
0: you're also putting yourself
1: in danger. Right. And, and so I, I, maybe this is, this is wrong, but, um, I've always kind of used, um, maybe a little bit of like sarcastic humor, um, just to kind of like kind of put that back on them. Like, like, is this really appropriate? Like, for instance, when I was just this has this happened here, and I was out on a bike ride, and of course I'm in spandex, like, and I'm in this like kit that maybe you guys saw. It's like leopard print on the bottoms, and I'm like so standing fire. in a cafe, and You're I'm cool. getting they're awesome Paradis per, Paradis. They're an awesome like new cycling brand, but um, they so I was in this bar getting a cafe like halfway through my ride and. I was like, I looking around, I turned to pay. And then, um, I look. I turned around and these two men were just like, literally eyes glued to my, to my butt. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. and so oh. I look at and I, and I look at them and they're like, like talk, like talking, I look at them and I like look past and I'm just like, and I look at them and I'm like, what are you looking at? You know what I mean? And then they kind of were just like, Oh, like, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? And then I was just like, okay. And then I smiled and then I walked out. Like, I was just like, come on. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, and I just, I think, I mean, a, that's like, a you know, maybe differences in culture. Right. But, um, yeah. I think European lifestyle, maybe more in the city, it's more like out on the streets. Right. But, um, you know, it's just like, kind of, just, someone might not know that it offends you unless you tell them, but it doesn't have to be a very aggressive way. You can still stand up for yourself in a way, um, you know, that, that feels appropriate, but not, um, you know, not putting, like you said, putting yourself in danger, but that also sucks. Cause sometimes those, those brilliant things don't always come to you at the, at the moment that you need them.
0: Yeah. The, the listener who sent us an email, um, said that she was, she was running by herself. She was hiking by herself. Um, when this like person said this to her and the person they said, said this to her was in a group. Um, you know, they're, they're on the trails out East. Um, and she was like, you know, I, I didn't, I was frustrated because I didn't have anything clever to say back to them. And I really didn't want to like cause like like have an altercation, like I'm hiking by myself on this trail. Like I might have to see them again on the trail too, like coming back down the the trailhead or whatever. Like, yeah, that'd be really hard. Like, do you just like laugh it off and be like, okay, dude, like bye or whatever. Like it's that, that is like that I'd feel way different if I was running like with my roommate or something like running with, you know, running with another, another female even right to, Mm -hmm. to have that kind of like protection and numbers thing. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely off-putting. It's like you shouldn't be commenting on people's bodies anyway, right? And I kind of wanted to sass them back. And my my natural inclination is to just throw sass back at people. Um, but I recognize that that's like not always an option. I Actually, I had a male athlete. This was like an episode of Road Rage. He was on his bike. It happened a couple of years ago. It was so messed up. He was on his bike, uh, a, a driver. He was bike commuting home for, after working um out east he's a professor and the driver like kind of was being a jerk to him and so this athlete he as he described it to me I made a universally understood not so nice hand gesture and the driver like basically like swore like you know like blocked him at the next intersection and like they had like had like like physically like had a physical altercation with this guy on a bike like police had to get involved type of thing. Like how traumatic. And it's like, you don't know if that person in the car or the person on the trail is gonna like, is having a really bad day. Doesn't mean that it's what they're about to do is good for you or good for anyone else. But it's like, yes, like I think you need to stand up for yourself. And yes, like people need to be aware that you like they shouldn't say things like that. But it's like, I also don't want to give anyone the advice that's going to put them in a situation like that, Mm -hmm. right? Because I probably also would have given that guy that that hand gesture that was in the truck trying to trying to cut me off or I give the thumbs down a lot I'm a big thumbs down fan where instead of giving the middle finger to someone if I'm out my bike I give the the thumb the universal like I'm disappointed in you gesture of a thumbs down um but yeah like I don't I don't want to give anyone the advice that puts them in that position of getting hurt getting you know getting attacked being assaulted whatever it might be like that is not that is not okay advice either so I think it's that's the unfortunate truth of being being an athlete, being a female athlete. Um, I can't imagine what it's like for athletes of color in that situation too, right? Like that's just another layer of that puzzle um of feeling unsafe and unwelcome potentially in that space. Like I I don't have the best answers there. And I think that we all just like I want this person to know that they're they're not alone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Is is maybe the bigger thing there is that you're not alone. This is not to say it's a universal experience, but. A lot of us have been in a similar, put in a similar situation.
2: Yeah. 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 And my default is to just not say anything back. Cause you never know who's behind the wheel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't yeah. want to mess with that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry. What was that? I couldn't hear you.
1: Can, I, can you say that again? I don't know. And yeah, that was uh, that like to, to echo kind of what Keely said earlier, the first time that that actually happened to me this, this year was someone yelling at me on the trail. Like, Escalated extremely quickly. And I just, I reverted to what Corinne said. I was like, have a nice day. I like, don't know what's going on with you. Like, I kept on saying that when he kept on like yelling profanities at me when I was like over on the side of the trail. COVID brought
0: the worst of people on the trail, right?
1: Yeah. And so you never know. And I felt extremely unsafe and like my adrenaline spiked. And I was just like, okay, like, you know, it was very unpleasant. So, yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I kind of have been like combating that with, with running with a lot of my girlfriends here in Portland. However, I find that like, we're all equally on edge. So if if somebody's treating us poorly as well, if like we're running for a breast or something, it's like almost easy for us to lash out as well. And so we've had to be like mindful to to be like, okay, we're in a group. Like we might be taking up more trails. So like, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Like COVID has been hard on everybody and we're just not going to say anything and we're going to run by because I think we're all kind of on edge and like people are taking away our our happy places and they're they're becoming more populated as well, right? And and it's just like it's not good for anybody. And so I think we all need to be mindful. Yeah, and I think that's
0: a great that that point in particular is a great way to round some of this out. Is that right? Like being extra cognizant of the space you take up too so it's like i'm i'm a person who's like okay we have to get off like we're gonna like give like we're 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 yielding space to other people on the trail right my husband is notoriously terrible at moving over on the trail and i'm like steven like get over here type of thing versus our roommate eric where it's like no eric you're allowed to keep running like you you don't have to like it's almost impossible to get him down the trail because he'll just keep stepping off to like let Mm -hmm. people by and like olivia and i will be like a half mile up the trail before Eric gets back on the trail because he yields to everyone. So there's got to be a happy medium there (laughs) as far as like, you know, like how well someone's moving, right? If people have big, heavy backpacks, I'm like, okay, you, you take the trail. You are, this is a cumbersome experience for you. If you know, a, a bike going uphill versus downhill. Can like, can I give them space? What is easiest? Like, I think it's just really important Rules are different everywhere. There are unwritten rules. There are written rules as, as far as like who yields, who doesn't yield. Um, But I think if we're all just being cognizant of the space we take up and being aware that we're sharing that space with other trail users—be it bikes, be it horses, be it hikers, be it people who have never been on a trail before, be it small children who are uncontrollable or dogs or you know dogs on leash or off leash—like right? right, like you are using, you are sharing the trail with all these people, independent of whatever rules exist or don't exist or arbitrarily exist or imaginary, like. Being cognizant of the space you take up, although we like to take up a lot of space as much as possible as, uh, you know, go go women, go people taking, taking their space, but on the trail, trying to share it with other people, be cognizant of the space that you are occupying so that other people can also occupy space on the trail.
1: And I just did want to add one quick note too, because I've had some pretty negative, um, you know, things in, in Europe where, or just racing in general, It's not necessarily in Europe. I've just, I've just the majority of my time raced in Europe. So a lot of times when they hear it's a female voice in the trail, like they speed up or they don't want to get over, or you have to forcefully like kind of be like, you know, on your left or forcefully like pass them in like kind of a precarious place. Cause so they literally, it's like, okay, I've, I've said on your left, I said, I'm going to pass you. And you're still not getting over. So that's where I'm a little bit more forceful in a race. Um, but I will say it was really cute um, this path in this race, uh, there were two separate occasions where there were these two guys running with me. And I think some of them were from like, you know, the marathon or something like this. And I could, I can understand a little bit of Portuguese. And he was like talking to his friend. He's like, yeah, that's the first lady. That's the first lady. Okay. We have to help her. Cause I, I couldn't speak Portuguese. So these people and I was trying to pass them. And like, they would like, they would see me coming up on a person and they would yell in Portuguese to the people ahead, like first lady coming, get over. And, like, <laughs> and it was like literally mm-hmm. these two guys they wouldn't leave my side for like and i was like do you want to pass like no no we're good and like they wouldn't leave my side for like 5k on this downhill and then the next uphill i dropped them but like it was so nice <laughs> yeah That's not awesome. everyone's bad
2: right no yeah no i'm like, with you yeah, i had a guy not all people when i was doing ccc i feel like f oh, I was having very negative experiences with all the males I was trying to pass and to their, to their credit, it's not their fault, right? Like the, I think we're very grateful to live in the United States. We're definitely a little more progressive in this space, right? Like for some of these European countries, it's still weird for them to see women running on the trails, let alone having them pass them. And so, um, the beginning of the races are always weird, but towards the end, I would catch men and they would be like, Oh, you're hunting down second, or you're hunting down whoever. And they would be stoked and they would be like, okay, vamos, like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's really fun at the end, right? Is to like have someone be like, "Oh, well, I was suffering, but now this girl caught me, and I can help her catch someone." So like, I'm gonna get out of my suffering, and and you can view it in a positive way as well, even if maybe they do just not want to get chicked. We don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe that's like the the essence of the beginning of any trail race is like really aggro and like you know, it's like tranquilo, like, okay, let's chill out a little bit. And then it's like, they do chill out a little bit towards the end. And it's like, okay, like I, my ego has been checked or my, I am settled. I'm tired. I am like willing to be, you know, better in sharing that space or acknowledging that people around me Mm -hmm. are doing well. So totally, that's really cool.
2: Yeah. And like, I guess this kind of ties in the last point of this and Corinne and Hillary, I'm interested to hear your thoughts around this, but um I feel like when that happens sometimes you have to run off trail right and you like create new trails you run into like the the brush and all this stuff and like that's not good on the trail system either like I see a lot of people in Forest Park now they get nervous because it's covid and they want to be away from people so they start cutting and making new trails and like that's not good for the environment and so like with over a hundred million new people hitting the trails based off of like how much all trails has grown. How do you think that's impacting like the actual trail and the environment around that?
0: Yeah. And this is very us V, V Europe, right? Like we're, we're very much more about like, Oh, we're on the trip. We're staying on the trail. We're watching out for erosion, that kind of thing via like the, like, you know, versus Europe where it's like, no, this, this is the fastest way up and down the mountain. I'm going to cut the switchbacks. So I think that there's some, there's some natural cultural differences there as far as like, like how trails are maintained within these environments. But yeah, I think it's really important that we're cognizant of, you know, being aware of when the trails are really muddy or really wet and like, we're gonna cause a bunch of damage to them, right? Like we all know, like we don't go mountain biking when it's muddy because that's like, we can create a lot of damage to a trail system during, you know, on on those trail surfaces. But you're right, like, you know, making new trails is, you know, not, not the ideal situation for maintaining the wilderness in these areas. Haley, any thoughts there?
1: No, no, that was the only thing I was going to add is that it's my pet peeve. Um, like when you're outside and like, just walk through the puddle, man, like just walk through it. Like you don't need to go around it. Like, so I think a lot of, yeah, these things- it
0: makes the trails wider, right? Like if you, every time ta- right. every person who goes around the puddle makes mm-hmm. the trail wider. So wear some yeah. vortex, man.
1: Exactly. And that's why we have like these amazing companies, these like, you know, and they're making this gear to go outside, like get dirty. It's kind of fun. Like just go in the shower with your clothes and wash off the mud. It's fine. But like, I think, um, with this too, it's also with so many people getting out on the trails, I really want there to be more of an educational based system of like teaching people like, okay, this is what you, this is what you should do. This is how you need to like leave no trace and leaving no trace, I think relates to, you know, making sure that like trail stewardship, like making sure you prevent erosion. I mean, I mean, where I even live in Boulder, they're super strict about where they allowed cyclists because they, it's like, you know, huge trail erosion. That's a really big in, in hiking. And so there's only designated areas and, um, where they're, where they allow mountain bikers. Right. Um,
0: same, same, and, same in Marin in the Bay area yeah. as well.
1: Yeah. yeah. Exactly. and Yeah. So, and, and so I think, um, and maybe there's a little bit of a war there, but there's actually like, you know, kind of like a purpose. It's not supposed to be like runners or cyclists, but I think there should be, you know, to try to figure out how to educate people more. And I think that's also kind of goes like what we've talked about on the, on, on this podcast about mentorship. Right. And that's like getting people more into, into outdoors and trails and talking about, okay, what that actually means. Like get dirty. Like, you know, get out there.
0: Yeah. Teach your trail buddies, right. Lead by example, right. That was my biggest, that was my biggest deal coaching juniors in Bozeman. I was like, Hey, Every single person, because we're going to pass them with a line of 10, 11-year-olds, like you, every single one of you is going to say, hello, thank you, good morning, you know, like all those things, because we want to continue to use these trails and we want the people that are interacting with us, even if they're not always nice, to know that we're being nice and we're trying to be courteous because no one wants to be passed by a dozen 11-year-olds carrying ski poles. So it's like, (laughs) you have to lead by example. You have to teach your friends. You have to teach the newbies that are going to show up to your group runs because, that's how we all learn, right? That's how Steven gets better at sharing space on the trail. It's how Eric gets better about being on the trail more frequently. Like it's all like, it's important to, to lead by example in those areas. And there's definitely organizations doing that work with Leave No Trace. REI does a bunch of cool educational stuff with hiking groups, um, and trail runners and mountain bikers. So looking for those resources. And then if you are, you know, if you are experienced in these things, like be that mentor, for, for the trail newbies, because we are, we're welcoming more and more people onto the trail, um, off the roads, off the tracks, that kind of thing. So to step into that role, be be that mentor to, to continue to teach all of us that we can be, you know, good stewards for the trail and we can be nice to each other out on the trail as well.
2: Totally. And like take the initiative to like volunteer to do some trail work too. Right. Because I definitely don't do this as much as I can. And with like COVID, it definitely became harder over the past couple of years. But I know in the past, like some of my friends who are big hunters or big mountain bikers, they almost like for a while scoffed at mountain at at trail runners for not doing as much trail work and not being as big a trail advocates. But I see that changing. And I think there's also just tons of space for it to change. And so I'm going to be better at it. I think we all can be better at it. Like there's tons of trails for us to walk on, but they don't maintain themselves. So um, yeah, that's kind of yep. my call out there.
0: Yep. Look for your local community. They will be running uh, like trail work days generally through different, like various volunteer organizations. If you're running 100 this year, it's a great way to get your volunteer hours in. It's required for many hundreds within the US, at least. Um, but I think that's really, really important because you're right. The mountain bikers have, for the longest time, they have carried a lot of the trail maintenance work on their shoulders for sure in many, many communities that the three of us have all lived in. So um, be good trail stewards sign up for a trail work day it will go a long way for your community and it's really satisfying to think like i did that for that trail yeah sweet should we slam
1: slam it yeah slam
0: (laughs) it uh hilly you want to slam first
1: yeah so i have a really cool slam and i'm really sorry for our listeners in pretty much everywhere else besides new zealand um (laughs) really happy for those of you in new zealand i'm also jealous because um got a cool message um, from a scientist over in um in new zealand he's studying under dr stacy sims and he's looking for people specifically women to participate in a research study and so i want to help him gonna get some um participants so those of our listeners um if you are a woman, know of a woman who is an ultra runner, um, and you would want to be in a metabolic, um, study, basically kind of studying how metabolic considerations across your menstrual cycle, um, can, uh, of healthy, ultra female, ultra endurance athletes, uh, how that basically they're just trying to study this. And so, um, I will share with you, um, this is Andrew Dole, his details. So. He's giving his phone number. He said I could share it. So, we're going to also link this in the show notes, but so just hit him up if you if you are around. So, it's New Zealand phone number um and we can just link this unless you want me to say it now, but
2: we'll yeah. cut that so out. we'll we'll yeah. link it. We'll, in we'll, link it.
1: <laughs> we'll link it. But if you're interested in New Zealand, you want to be studied as a female ultra runner man, I would jump at this opportunity. It'd be, it'd be super, super cool. You know, the super sapiens, like how they have the, um, uh, like monitoring basically your blood, their blood glucose, um, levels. I think they're going to be, be using that, but kind of in a more long-term, um, long-term setting.
0: Cool. Yeah. That's going to be an, an interesting area of research. And f- we've complained many a times that the research is lacking with female athletes in general, with females in general. So um, if you are, if you, if you meet their criteria and you live in New Zealand, uh, please do reach out to them to volunteer because it is, it is hard to get test subjects for these research projects. So um, please, please help this PhD candidate or whomever it is out because that will be, um, that'll be so cool for us to get to talk about down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I will slam, I've got a good slam from friend of the pod um, Logan Williams, who (laughs) is a attorney and runner. Um, and he's got a really interesting backstory. Um, he's a really interesting dude in general, but, um, as a former collegiate athlete and a former climber and now a runner, um, he's experienced his own fair share of body dysmorphia and body image issues and disordered eating patterns And so both Keely and I have gotten to share some time, um, with him over the last couple of months and we're really hoping to be able to have him on for an interview down the road here to specifically talk about the male side of, you know, reds of, of disordered eating of body image issues within male athletes. So I think that's really, really cool. And we will be so excited to share, um, that with you and with Logan, um, hopefully in the new year. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And my slam is just like kind of a shout out to everyone who's messaged us about finally taking off time and taking an off season is like, we hear you and we're so stoked for you and like, it's okay to take it. And your body's going to thank you so much. So for all who decided to take one or in the midst of one and was, and we're a little bit scared to be in it and like nervous to take time off. Like your body's going to thank you. And Hilly's going to embark on hers like ASAP and get all the recovery in (laughs) and just crush the off season because she just absolutely crushed her race, but it wouldn't be possible without actually letting yourself rest as well. So rest is important.
0: Yeah. I love it. Thank you all for listening. Continue to slide into our DMS because without you, this probably wouldn't be possible. Um, You guys inspire us in so many different ways and have been providing great topics and insights. Um, And we're listening and we're going to do them and we're going to talk about them. So keep sliding into our DMs. We will talk to you next time.